Amen. Amen. Let's praise God just for our, our friend leading us today, Garrett. Thank you so much, brother. Absolutely. Guys, we're in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 this morning. I invite you to go there with me, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. And as you're turning the pages of Scripture to this single verse, something you're turning to there is the beginning of the greatest run-on sentence in all of history. Spanning from verse 3 to verse 14, an English teacher's greatest fear, 202 words in total, one single sentence, beginning all right here in verse 3. As exciting as that might be, or as just cringeworthy as that might be, there's something even better that's beginning here in verse 3 as well, and that's what we're spending the rest of our time looking at. And it's this beginning of a section in Ephesians where Paul is focusing toward the Ephesians there, a focus all on who the Ephesians were in Jesus Christ. As you might remember, this book is split right down the middle. The first three chapters, it's all about who you are in Jesus, life in Christ. And in the last three chapters, four to six, it's all about how you live out who you are in Jesus so we looked at the introduction really the last couple of weeks looking at as saints, we're made holy in the eyes of God, we're connected to Jesus. As saints who are made holy in the eyes of God, we're connected to Jesus that we might also be connected with one another, all for the glory of God in this age. God's heart for his glory in this age is to use those who are connected to Jesus in one another so that not only we will glorify our Father in heaven, but also by our connection with Jesus and one another, we might be used by God to help others find connection with Jesus and one another. And we come to verse 3, and Paul is at the beginning here of just laying these truths of who the Ephesians were in Jesus. And today God is speaking to you, reminding you from his word, who you are in Christ Jesus. This is what the Word of God says. Blessed, that's that two-syllable word, blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. When I think about the overall letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, there's so much weight, there's so much hinging on this one verse. And now don't hear me wrong, I realize the totality of Scripture is the, the full God-breathed word from Genesis to Revelation, totally perfect, eternal, life-giving, inerrant, without error. But here it seems like there's a little extra weight, a little more on the line when it comes to verse 3, because if Paul doesn't get this right, how is he ever going to hope the Ephesians actually live out a life of transformation? If, if he doesn't present who the Ephesians are in Jesus well enough, how could he ever have a hope that they take the reality of who they are in Jesus and allow that to translate into a transformative life living out who they are in Jesus? So I can't help but imagine Paul thinking through as the Spirit moves him, how's he going to get it right? And here's what he comes up with in this single verse, the beginning of this run-on sentence, the beginning of this section focusing on all about who they are in Jesus, and it's this. In one verse, he makes certain the believers in Ephesus knew that life in Christ 
truly is the most blessed of all blessings. A life trying to follow Jesus well in a highly dysfunctional fallen world is the highest, most blessed of all blessings we could ever imagine, ask, think, or hope for. So he says it three different ways in one single verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This one word mentioned three different times in a single verse. It's actually two Greek words put together. The first part of it means good. The second part means word. You logos. You logos. Literally meaning good words. Paul is like, if there's something that I'm hopeful is going to grip the hearts of the Ephesians and help them grasp what life truly is in Jesus, who they are in Jesus, so it translates to them living a transformed life in Jesus. Here's the good word. Here's the eulogos. In our English language, we know it as eulogy. When someone dies, regardless of what we thought of them, and regardless of what we said behind their back while they were still breathing, we speak good words about them when we eulogize them at their services, don't we? Okay, maybe some of you. Wow, that was pretty cold. <laughs> we say good words. We don't get up and we don't roast them. There's a fine line between roasting them when their lifeless body is laying there. But we eulogize. We speak kind words. We speak favorable terms regarding who they were. We share good words. And here in verse 3, Paul wants to lay the groundwork. He wants to share something so clear that here is the good word. Here are the good words of truth you can have a confidence in when it comes to who you are in Jesus Christ. And he begins by this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you want to know something good? The first thing that you should know about something good is that your heavenly Father truly is someone worthy of being blessed. And praise. Your Heavenly Father is not like somebody who lived a life as a non-believer and only did bad things, and now you're trying to memorialize them and, and make up for lost time. Your Heavenly Father is not like someone who you're trying to make up some good words about at their service. But as far as your life in Christ goes, you are sons and daughters who have a Heavenly Father who truly is good. A heavenly Father who in all circumstances and all of life truly is worthy of being praised. Someone as a heavenly Father over your life who you can always declare goodness and great truths about. And when I think about the Ephesians, man, what a timely message. The Ephesians, how desperate they must have been to be reminded of who they were as sons and daughters of a heavenly Father who could be blessed and praised in all circumstances of life. Remember the ancient context of Ephesus, fourth largest city in the ancient world, um, known world at the time. They lived in a society steeped in paganism. I mean, they literally lived in the shadow of the temple that was built to the goddess Artemis. This, this temple that's not around today, but it stood four times in size as the Parthenon we know in Athens, Greece today. Four times the size where these believers had found life in Christ, but they're trying to 
live well their life in Christ desperately needed to be reminded it was the blessed of all blessings. No matter what situation they found themselves in, no how difficult, no matter how difficult it may have been. And when I think about those Ephesians, I can't help but then think about every household represented here today. Because you, by the power of the Spirit, are trying to live your life in Christ. You know, perhaps, you have a Heavenly Father who's worthy of being praised. But as you try to navigate a life that follows Jesus well, it doesn't always feel like it's what you want to be about. Blessing the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me is not always what feels like you, what you want to do, is it? Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. When you're on the mountaintop, perhaps you feel like you've got a lot to give and you just are overflowing. Bless your name, Heavenly Father. You are so good. You are so great. But the reminder here, based on who they are in Jesus, is that even when you're on your backs in the valley, even when you don't feel like you have anything within you to express praises to the Lord, even then, especially then, out of the truth we know to be real about who our Heavenly Father is, we can still bless His holy name. Paul just lays it out based on who you are in Jesus. You have this heavenly father who is always worthy of your worship, who is always good. Bless his name. And really he's given us a framework of how we go about worship, not just in this room, but every other day of the week. Worship's not based on our feelings. It's based on the truth we know to be real in Jesus Christ. So for 20 minutes a week, we come in here and we gather and, and we put our feelings and we put our personal preferences aside as long as Jesus, who is worthy of being blessed in all circumstances of life, is exalted and high and lifted up. Man, y'all did an exceptional job of that today as well. It was, it was awesome, guys. But then we take that and we go from here. And out of who we are in Jesus, the hope is that reminder grounds us to always express our affections, always express his goodness out of the truths we know to be real from his word, not the feelings and the burdens and the emotions that we go through as a result of the sinful world. Life in Christ is the most blessed of all blessings. And part of that, to begin with, is the reality that our Heavenly Father is worthy of these blessings. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But notice something else it means. <clears throat> he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Out of his blessedness as God, he doesn't keep it for himself, but he extends it to you and to me as followers of Jesus Christ. Out of his being, truly, blessed God of all creation that then overflows his Trinitarian Godhead and he extends his blessings to you and to me. I mean, being reminded of who we are in Jesus, being reminded that life in Christ is the blessed of all blessings, we are recipients of God's blessings. And quite frankly, in a world, in, in a city as affluent as Katy, Texas, I don't think we're all struck enough with the reality that we are recipients of the Creator's blessings. 
And perhaps the Ephesians struggled with that as well in the fourth largest city of the ancient world. Paul wanted to remind them of who they were as recipients of God's blessings. And and look at um, how he describes it. He says, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So this blessing that's been extended out of God's blessedness truly as God, it's something that's already taken place. Paul says he has blessed us. It's in this Greek tense that says it's something already completed. It's talking about salvation. When you profess faith on Jesus as Savior and Lord, as a believer on Jesus as the Lord of your life, there is a blessing that is instantaneously, immediately, and once for all imparted into your life. Paul says there's a blessing we receive from God Almighty. But notice the nature of this blessing. Is it physical? No. Does it pay all the bills? No. Does it buy all the cars you want? No. It's spiritual. This blessing is something that's already happened, but it's spiritual in nature. But don't miss the scope. says, you have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Not just some, not just a few. When you profess faith on Jesus, God didn't look into the story of your life and and consider, okay, well, how good have you been? What do you have to offer the kingdom? Okay, I'll give you this quantity of blessing from the spiritual realm of heaven. No, when you profess faith on Jesus, out of the blessedness of him being God the Father through Jesus, lavishes the fullness of every blessed spiritual thing that heaven can offer. I mean, you want a a good little summary here? The blessed God blesses us with every blessed spiritual thing heaven has to offer. That's what Paul's saying. Let me tell you something good. Let me remind you of a good truth you need to hear and that you need to speak and cling to in the sea of feelings and emotions around you. The blessed God has blessed you with every blessed spiritual thing heaven can offer. And now we're like, okay, well, what is that? Sign me up. You're saying, I got it because I'm a believer. What in the world is it? Well, it's nothing of this world. It's spiritual in nature. What is this every spiritual blessing that heaven has to offer? It's not a thing at all. It's a person. It's Jesus. It's God himself. See how our first world issues cloud our perspective and cause us to be so forgetful for how blessed a life is in God our Father that we get Jesus himself? Paul says you've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing heaven has to offer. And it's not even a thing. It's a person. It's Jesus himself. And that's what the Ephesians need to be reminded of. And for us, we come to this place and we realize we have it already. So at salvation, here's how it works. At salvation, we profess Lord and Savior to being Jesus And at that very moment, what happens? The penalty of our sin has been paid in full. 
Right, Jesus, 2,000 years ago on a cross, he paid for the, the penalty of sin on the cross where he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. A work completed in the past that has its effect carry on throughout all future. And at the moment when you respond to that in faith, at that moment of faith, the penalty of your sin is paid in full. That's a blessing in Christ that you've received from the blessed God the Father. There's another blessing that we have received and we already have in us as well. It's not just the, the fact that our sin has been paid, the penalty of our sin has been paid, but the power of sin has been broken. I think there's a reason we don't have resounding amens because when we're honest with ourselves, we're following Jesus in this world and we don't know what life really is like with the power of sin being broken. When you profess Jesus as Savior, the penalty of our sin is paid in full. And also what happens is the power of sin is broken. God the Holy Spirit immediately comes to live inside of us. And we are no longer living according to the flesh. We are living according to the Spirit. According to every spiritual blessing of heaven. And I know what you might be thinking here because I'm thinking the same thing as I'm, I'm reading and studying through these truths is that I don't always feel like that. Pastor, I know I have the spirit of Jesus inside of me, and, and I know I've been crucified to the old man, but what I feel like is, is what I saw in Full House growing up, where I have an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder. I'm trying to figure out which one to follow, because I, I know the devil, he's enticing me to, to go out and and not tell dad I've been out too late and then Full House will come back and they'll have a good little mom and dad or a dad moment with Uncle Jesse and, you know, loving on each other. Satan, angel, this war of the flesh and the spiritual. The Ephesians need to be reminded of who they were, not what they felt. We need to be reminded of who we are, not what we feel. What we feel sometimes might be what we see on TV with the angel and Satan on our shoulders, but the reality is this in Romans chapter 6. Go over there with me if you would, please, because you don't want to think it's my opinion. This is the Word of God, Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. We don't have two natures. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, him being Jesus, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. What Paul's talking about there is exactly what he's reminding the Ephesians about is that at profession of faith on Jesus, out of the blessedness of God the Father, we receive this blessing that is the blessed everything spiritual from heaven. And that means the power of sin has been broken. Not just the penalty of sin paid in full, but the power of sin in this life, in our following of Jesus, has been broken. Then why so often do we feel the guilt of it? Why so often could we go around this room sharing stories about how we feel still in shackles to our sin rather than released from its power? We allow ourselves to be formed by feelings of an angel on one shoulder and Satan on the other instead of the reality of God's never-changing truth that says, we know our old self was crucified with Jesus 
in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The reality is, Adam and Eve had a divine nature, but then sin entered in. Now we have a fallen nature. We have the nature that we inherited through the human nature of Adam. But when we profess faith on Jesus, at that very moment, the penalty of our sin is paid in full. At that very moment, by the indwelling of the Spirit inside of us, the power of sin is broken. But the struggle that is so real, and we're even embarrassed to be open and honest about it, is that the reality is that those are the spiritual blessings. But in addition to that spiritual blessing of the penalty paid in full, the power of sin being broken, the physical and eternal blessing of the presence of sin being fully removed is yet to come. We follow Jesus in this world where our penalty of sin has been paid, the power of sin has been broken, but the presence of sin has yet to be removed. Paul wants to remind these Ephesians who you are in Christ, are sons and daughters of a God who's worthy of being praised, your sons and daughters of, of a God who has blessed you with the spiritual blessing of having your sin paid in full, who has blessed you with the spiritual blessing of the power of sin being broken and released in this life. But you're still going to have to find a way to navigate it until the presence of sin is fully removed. So how do we do that? Because I know so many of us in, in my life as well, I find myself struggling with one thing. I have a good couple days and then I wake up regretting the last 24 hours of something just happened. It's like, God, would you help me to stop doing this? God, would you quit letting ha sin have this power in my life? And what Paul is reminding the Ephesians about who they are in Jesus is that you're asking the wrong thing. The fullness of these spiritual blessings have already been given to us. Sin has no more dominion over our lives. That's the God-honest truth. The choice left to us is, are we going to speak that truth into the situations we find ourselves? Galatians 5, if you just turn a, few pa uh, a page or two from Ephesians 1, Galatians 5, 16 We're not called to ask God to, to release the power of sin in my life because the power has already been broken and released. God, would you remind me of the truth and make that a reality in my life? And that's exactly what Paul says in chapter 5, 16 of Galatians. I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The prayer I have written based on truth because I don't want my feelings to get in the way of it is God out of the reality of you being the blessed God who has blessed me with every blessed spiritual thing heaven has to offer help me to walk by the spirit and not walk by the desires of the flesh that have been crucified I think that's the good word of truth we need to remind ourselves every day we get out of bed is that the power of temptation the power of addictions the power of the brokenness of sin in this world They've been defeated. Our nature is now united with Christ following him. 
But on a daily basis, we need to surrender those feelings to Him. On a daily basis, we need the truth to crucify those feelings and emotions. I have a friend of mine I see probably four or five times a, a week. And every day he sees me, the very first thing he says to me, is, hey, pastor, tell me something good. Hey, pastor, what's the good word? Tell me something good, man. What's, what's good going on today? And the first few months I, I met this guy, I, I didn't really know, like, man, what's that all about? You know, some people just kind of, hey, how you doing? Or, you know, just ignore you or, or whatever, not really want to talk about anything. This guy has taken to heart the reason he says this greeting every single day to me. Hey, tell me something good. Hey, what's something good you know? What's the good word today? So this guy, he, he's a follower of Jesus today, but a decade ago, he was serving time in prison. And out of the hardships of his life and the brokenness of this world, he found Jesus a Savior, a connection to him, and he has taken to heart exactly what Paul does here in verse 3. He has taken to heart every single day in opening conversation with everybody he encounters. He says, hey, what's the good word? Hey, tell me something good. It's as if based on his past and, and the temptation of, of guilt and the struggle to, to keep the shackles of, of this sinful world away, He's constantly wanting to remind himself and others of the good truth that is all around us. The blessed blessing that is in Jesus Christ. That the blessed God has blessed us with every blessed spiritual thing heaven has to offer. Tell me something good. Remind me that I shouldn't be feeling guilt because it's not even there. Remind me God has broken those chains. Remind me God has given me the victory already. Tell me something good, Pastor. And out of who you are in Jesus, I believe so many of us need to make it our commitment to wake up tomorrow morning. Just say, God, remind me of the good truth of who you are and who I am in you. So that I'm not enslaved to my emotions or my feelings or whatever situation that might surprise me at the office today. Remind me of something good. Remind me of the good truth of who you are and who I am in you. so that I might be formed out of relationship with you instead of any scenario around me. You are sons and daughters of a God who is worthy of being praised, and the blessed God has blessed you with every blessed spiritual thing heaven has to offer Jesus himself. I invite you to walk in that today. I invite you to speak that truth into your life today. So Garrett's going to come up. He's going to begin playing. And I just want to give you a moment to, to do just that. Take a moment and reflect on truth. Take a moment and reflect on the reality of who God is and who you are in him as a son or a daughter of the king. As a follower of Jesus, the penalty of your sins paid in full already done it's gone as a follower of Jesus you still live in this world where there's the presence of sin but the resurrection of Jesus and the spirit in your life has broken the power of sin quit trying to put it back together <laughs>